Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. And that's really been the trajectory of my career is what's working now, what is the technology now, and how can I use that and channel my ideas and my staff's ideas using that new technology. My passion in my current job is connecting audiences with artists. It just gives me the best thrill when there's a standing ovation or a whole tent of people dancing or a person who's discovered a new act. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? So the online community of geeks is quite high and that really led us to wanting to put together the store. We wanted a place where we could shop for our favorite geeky things without kitschy country things that you usually find at a craft market. It's just too diverse and we wanted that niche space. Storytelling is absolutely a very important part of nature interpretation and, and my job for the last, well since I was a little kid I guess has been telling people about the magic of nature and the excitement of nature. and and of course, ultimately, the joy and importance of preserving nature. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining me is your co-host, Fred Keating. Hello, Marvin. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another one of our themed episodes where we talk to several people on the same topic. The topic of this episode is when creativity meets business acumen. Fred, we've often discussed how many artists would benefit from a better understanding of the business aspects that often give creative careers a real possibility of success. Yep. And we've also said an artist doesn't have to be able to file their own taxes read and negotiate each legal agreement or, or get deeply involved in the business of marketing and promotion. But they do need to find people who love that kind of work and bring them into the team. And a better appreciation of the need for a business sense will help clarify career objectives and focus the creative energy. Having said that, we found that some of the most successful people in media careers we've spoken to to have a business background or learn what they needed to know to push their careers forward into higher levels of success. Indeed. And so, this themed episode, When Creativity Meets Business Acumen, has excerpts of interviews with a multimedia publisher, the executive and artistic director of an arts center, two artists who created a community center for geek artists creating and selling geek-related artworks, and a wildlife naturalist who has become a global educator through media. Sounds like a pretty eclectic group, Fred, but there are many, many paths to marrying creative activity with sound business principles to engage a broader audience for one's creative output and productivity. Tell us about Todd Latham's success. Todd is the president of two corporate entities, Actual Media and Blue Events. Actual Media publishes magazines and special reports on environmental issues, particularly water and remediation, and Blue Events produces live events such as the annual Canadian Water Summit and the Water's Next Awards. But it's Todd's start as a writer, editor, and publisher that we spoke about. He really came of age during the advent of computers and the digital revolution, but it's his appreciation of business that has allowed his creative activities to flourish. I'll let him speak to that. 
I, I was a young man, first moved to Toronto, I was 21, and I had really no sense of where I was going and what I was going to do, hence the landscaping and mowing lawns, uh, realizing that that wasn't really a, a good outcome for me in the long term, and uh, I soon then realized that I had to develop my creativity in a way that would get me a job, get me something that I could do. And at that time, 86, this is before the internet, this is before really any sort of the modern technology that we know today. This is desktop computers were the big thing. This is the XP. Uh, we're talking about 10 megabyte hard drives. Uh, that was the level of technology then. And so I was fascinated. Computers could take what I had written down in my notebooks and make them come up live on a screen. So I immediately said, my poetry and my short stories, I can digitize those and I could print them and give them to people. I started doing that. So computers, creative, writing, put them together. I did some fantastic initial work and I created a newsletter called Nude Flash, spelled N-E-W-D Flash. It was my punny way of saying this is a news flash, but it was also me exposing myself to people with my creative writing in a way that was a journal, something I could hand out at parties. So you were really an early adapter of the new technologies, and your career has grown alongside the growth of the digital age. And that's really been the trajectory of my career is what's working now, what is the technology now, and how can I use that and channel my ideas and my staff's ideas using that new technology. So for example, of course, we're very active on Twitter. We're very active on other social media platforms and our website. Uh, we're still doing things in print, but we're doing it in a more sophisticated way. We're doing custom reports for people. We're delivering information via video. We're always interested in what's new and how people are consuming information and making making sure that we're getting the messages of our writers and our, our freelance staff and our clients to those audiences in the most digestible way, I guess. Do what you love and the money will follow. And it sounds simple. It sounds too good to be true. But in the case of me doing those publishing things, I wanted to get my message out there. I wanted to expose myself and my ideas to people. So I called it Nude Flash, which then got interest of other people who said, hey, do you want to go into business with me? You know how to do desktop publishing. I know the industry of the environment. And I know a guy who is a maitre d' of a restaurant. He could sell ads. And that is, in fact, how our very first company was formed in 1989, those three people, me as the creative and the guy who could do desktop publishing, combined with somebody who had a little bit of money and also a knowledge of the industry, the hazardous materials management industry, very specific environment, and a good buddy of mine still who was a maitre d', so he was good at upselling. So is there anything else I can get you with that order? So combine those skill sets, we came up with a business plan, we got $7,500 in seed funding from a bank, we matched that with friends and family money, and we cobbled that together for our very first issue in February of 1989 of Hazardous Materials Management Magazine, and from there it's gone off, we sold, bought, sold magazines, companies, and where we are today with actual media. So, Todd found a subject area he was passionate about, in his case, environmental issues, and honed the ability to get information out about those issues to an audience who benefited from that information, using a variety of media, print, video, social media and such. That's right, Marv. Still getting the word out to people who need to hear that word. Todd's media messages feed the appetite that millions have to learn more about environmental issues. 
And as he said, he's still buying and selling magazines and other publishing opportunities when it seems right. Perfect blend of creative activity sustained by sound business principles. And then there's Lindy Sisson. How can one woman be both the executive director and artistic director of a large arts center that has theater spaces, dance studios, painting and sculpting studios, and galleries and shops? Isn't an executive director more of an administrator and an artistic director the artsy person who finds or creates performances or exhibitions? As a rule, yes, Marv, but like Todd Latham, Lindy has a pretty strong background in both the administrative and creative aspects of the arts. Starting as an actress and dancer herself, she also helped run a community theater, and that led her to run children's theater festivals in major North American cities. So I'm guessing that, with her artist's eye, Lindy would pick and choose the performances from around the world that played during these festivals, and with her administrative skills, attract audiences and pay for the performances. Exactly so, Marv. And that's why she is such a great connector of art with audiences. She has a special affinity for both the creative and the business side of performing arts, and now has landed in her dream job at the ACT Arts Centre in lovely Maple Ridge, British Columbia, Canada. My passion in my current job is connecting audiences with artists. It just gives me the best thrill when there's a standing ovation or a whole tent of people dancing or a person who's discovered a new act that has really made a difference to them in some way, whether it's theater, dance, or music. I like to take people out of their everyday lives and have some experience with this artist that is moving in some way. So a lot of people don't know what a presenter is. It's you are the curator of the artistic work. For an art gallery, that's the work on the walls. For a theater, that's the work on the stage. And it's such interesting work but you can really screw up <laughs> like if you don't see the acts or if you don't know your audience if you put the wrong act in front of the right audience whatever audience is there is the right audience you can turn them off so easily and then you put yourself backwards in trying to get their gain their trust so I have been at the act for seven years and I think what makes me the happiest is that I have built trust with this audience and now I have patrons telling me oh well, I have no idea who Patricia Cano was but I came to the concert because it's on your program and I trust you and it was amazing so that is so gratifying for me so how did I get to do this part well I couldn't do this part unless I did the administration right I have to have HR skills I have to know every aspect of the theater in order to manage 20 staff and make sure all the departments are running properly and I also have always worked in nonprofits so I have to work with a board of directors how do you engender trust between yourself and these various separate camps or constituencies that you are employed to serve. Don't say you're going to do something and don't do it. When you are first starting to get collaborative things going, you can't, like most of this stuff, you cannot do by yourself. So you're going to pick creative partners to do projects with. And if somebody lets down the team, you know, then there's someone else that's picking up all the slack. You want to be that person that picks up all the slack to start with. And then you want to find people that have the expertise in the different areas to balance things out. And also, you know, when you go to art school, 
they don't teach in business classes. You know, and quite frankly, I don't know how I learned so much I did about budgets and about grant writing. I just by doing and also by asking a million questions, talk to the grant officer, pick up the phone. And people that you see doing interesting things that you could learn from, go to their shows, go to their workshops, have coffee with them. Have coffee with them? Yes and pick up the phone and ask a million questions. All roads lead back to relationships, eh, Fred? And how important they are to generating work for oneself through information and experience. Got that right. There's something to be said for artists who take themselves seriously enough to realize that they are already in the business of creating art, either for themselves or others. But actually recognizing that business principles can nourish and grow your creative activities can bring a certain stability to what can otherwise be a fairly sporadic career based on other people's decisions rather than your own. Correct. And sometimes it is the simplest challenges that can lead one to creative solutions. Take Geek Crossing, for example. Geek Crossing? Yes, in the wilds of an industrial park in western Canada, there is a small nondescript storefront. It's called Geek Crossing. And behind that sign is studio space, storage space, meeting space, and a store. I spoke with co-founders of Geek Crossing, Sarah Klott and Emily Tepper, to find out how and why it came about. So the online community of geeks is quite high, and that really led us to wanting to put together the store. We wanted a place where we could shop for our favorite geeky things without kitschy country things that you usually find at a craft market. It was too diverse, and we wanted that niche space. The advantage of the retail store over a craft market for a maker is that they don't need to man their space. As we have three dozen artists here now, obviously they have diverse interests themselves, and some of them have really focused on the country markets or the vintage markets, but themselves, they're inner geeks. So they get to make their passion products and have a place that they hopefully will reach the right customers. We just opened up this summer. We've been open just four months now and our community is growing at such a steady pace. We couldn't be more pleased with it. I think when we started to get our artists consigning their products here, that was a beginning of the community base and those creative souls are definitely as passionate about their fandoms as I am about Star Trek <laughs> and they come in to experience the community and the social aspect of connecting with other like-minded creative people while they produce their own things and work on having a space where they can keep making their art. Definitely an issue of not having space at home to create was a big impetus for us coming together to say we need to make this space. I was creating work at home when with children I had to clean up for lunch and then I had to bring it all out and then I had to clean up for dinner. So I thought surely there are other moms at home that are creative and needing a space to put their own work at first. I had the space to create but as Sarah said I also had children so the idea of having a space where you can create with other people and not have to clean up afterwards was very appealing. All the artwork is consigned to us so we're really just agents indeed to have it in, a, in care. It never belongs to Geek Crossing. We're just taking care of it, promoting it and showcasing it to potential customers. I think we're all looking to feel like we belong and the ones who feel marginalized feel that even more so and when you like something that perhaps not everybody likes finding someone else who likes that same thing that you like it's like coming home
And that feeling of belonging is important. And it's also important to feel connected. We all want to be a part of something greater than ourselves. That's a great thing to strive for. And I think the geeks understand that with all of the literature and content that's been put out. A lot of it strikes to the fact that we need to leave this place a better place than when we found it. Creating connections and leaving this place a better place than when we found it. Pretty lofty business objectives. Let me make sure I understand. Two artists seeking space so they don't have to clean up their work materials every time the family is at home. Lease space, rent and sell services like materials and working space for other artists, create a store so all artwork created can be sold by the artists in order to earn the money to give to the center to maintain their space and a sense of community. Is that it? By Jove, I think you've got it. It's an arts community center run like a business. And a business run like an arts community center. Everybody wins. Artists keep the cost of participating in their art down. Even make a profit off it without having to spend hours behind a table at a craft fair when they could be creating. Plus, they gain more space in their family living area because they have a safe and secure place to store their tools, materials, and finished products outside of their home or apartment. Win, 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 buddy. Very creative concept founded on basic principles. Yes, it's called a business plan. And it has gotten the women closer to their art and more productive, not separated from it. Now, Marv, together we tracked down over Skype that elusive storyteller, Brian Keating, to discover how his storytelling as a child was the key to a career in all sorts of media, personal appearances, video, radio, books, and now, thanks to us, podcasting. Turns out he's not your real cousin, is he? No, I wish, but he's a great example of someone who has a passion for a certain area of interest. In Brian's case, the great outdoors, and how that interest can set the stage for a wonderful and creative career in media. Brian has a business person's aptitude for a strategy that encompasses a variety of media and revenue streams. Here's Brian, no relation to Fred, Keating. I had a relationship brewing. Uh, the woman who I had met in southern BC, we worked as naturalists together. She was really good with flowers. I was really good with birds. I made every effort possible to get her into the woods as much as I could. And eventually it paid off and we eventually got married. But she got into school in Calgary. That, at that time, the Calgary Zoo had a position opening for education director. And I, I felt that I was far too young to get that position. I rode my motorcycle up from southern Saskatchewan to Calgary here and met with the zoo director prior to my interview, which technically is very difficult to get organized, but I pulled it off somehow and we hit it off right away. And then, so when the interview came, I had a briefcase full of of photographs that I had taken out in the wild, of projects that I had done that adequately demonstrated my interest in getting the position with the Calgary Zoo, and I got it. From there on, the world opened up, because now, instead of focusing on southern BC in the mountains or southern Saskatchewan in the prairies, yeah, the Calgary Zoo has tigers and elephants, and, and so all of a sudden things started to open up in a very big way. From there, it led to leading trips, and from there, it led me 
meeting some of my childhood heroes like Jane Goodall, George Schaller, Rodney Jackson. All these people are legends in the world of conservation and natural history. And I invited those people to come to Calgary to speak, and I developed a big speaking program, and it just went from there. So, Brian, how did this lead you into a media career? We have a hall here in Calgary called the Jubilee Auditorium. It holds 2,700 people. I started inviting my childhood heroes to come to Calgary, and I could pay them a sizable honorarium because of the numbers of people that I was able to attract to the Jubilee. My first presentation was with Rodney Jackson, who is uh, the fellow who collared five snow leopards with his girlfriend, and they followed those snow leopards for seven years in the Himalaya Mountains, and they wrote a book called Seven Years Amongst the Snow Leopards, and uh, they figured out what snow leopards do. They, they figured out where they sleep, where they hunt, where they breed, where they give birth, how many kittens they have, what they feed on, and the problems, of course, that they get into with conflict with humans, uh, taking goats and sheep now and again, and so on. And they developed a conservation strategy, which has since become very successful, to try to keep those wild populations of snow leopards intact. And and so it gave me an opportunity to meet these people, give them a platform to tell their story. I would then get them involved in the media world. So I was essentially a conduit to getting their story told in Western Canada. And as a result, I often became friends with these people. I'm still very good friends with Jane Goodall to this day. And with Rodney Jackson, I've actually been over to Northern India to search for snow leopards with him in years past. And we still maintain a friendship. And so the media world world allowed me access to a whole variety of very, very exciting possibilities. Now, Brian, you've talked about storytelling. Through all of this, what have you learned about the power of storytelling? I think back to my first presentations that I developed with the Canadian Wildlife Service down in southern British Columbia and southern Saskatchewan. It was all about storytelling. If you wanted to capture an audience around the campfire, the way to do it was to weave something that would be personal to them or something that they could relate to, but something that I found exciting and develop a story that would make it work. Storytelling is absolutely a very important part of nature interpretation and and my job for the last well since I was a little kid I guess has been telling people about the magic of nature and the excitement of nature and and of course ultimately the joy and importance of preserving nature you know Brian mentioned how the world opened up when he got that job at the zoo and put him in a place where his storytelling and the stories of other experts in wildlife and wild places found new audiences all over the globe Again, it was simple business principles having to do with marketing and promotion that opened the world up to Brian Keating and Brian Keating up to the world. So the next time you're looking for some professional development in your own best interests, in addition to whatever course you might take to improve your creative skills, consider meeting with an accountant, a business consultant, or a mentor who can coach you in how certain principles of business put into play can move your creative career to new levels of experience and revenue. Because when creativity meets business acumen, Fred, some wonderful things can happen for your creative career. Well said, Marv. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.